Victoria College is a public, open admission college. Our mission is to provide educational opportunities and services for our students and the communities we serve. For more information, please visit us at www.victoriacollege.com to schedule your tour. Welcome in to episode 68 of The Grid, the show that'll be wishing you a happy new year. I'm Gabe Myers. Alongside with me is Mike Foreman. And Mike, I, I finally got to the basketball court <laughs> consistently consistently for the first time since working for the Victoria Advocate. I finally got out there. Yeah, first time you get to cover the uh, Mike Smith Classic out at Victoria West. And uh, all right, here's the key question. How is the hospitality? Right? Oh, hospitality was fantastic. <laughs> hospitality was fantastic. First day we had uh, for dinner, we had Venturas, uh, enchiladas. Though those are really really good. Then last night we had Mumford's brought in some chopped oh, beef, they, and then I don't know who someone brought in pulled pork. I had left during the middle of the day on day one, so I wasn't there. The yesterday I was there all day, the championship mm-hmm. day. But the first day I was there in the morning and I was there in the evening, but not there in the afternoon. Hospitality room was excellent. The good folks at Victoria West took mm-hmm. excellent care of me and the officials and everybody else. But it was some good basketball on display as well. And an exciting finish to those of you who don't know or don't look at our website. Victoria West wins the Mike Smith Classic. Bo Woods, a buzzer beater, gets gets a layup at the buzzer to beat San Antonio Cole 59-57 in the championship game. Mike, the the last time we were on this podcast, we we were talking about basketball. And I was saying a little bit different tune about Victoria West. It was, man, they... Can't really rebound the ball. They got some things to figure out. I don't know how they look. Mike, you know, eight days later, and this is coming off a five-day holiday break. They did not practice before this tournament. That's And that's not just Victoria West. That's all the teams. Yeah. Five-day mandatory UIL holiday break. They don't practice, but they come out and they look like a completely different team, a, a team that's far more together, that comes out with a far greater intensity, and they – they win. They win the. You know, they win their home tournament. I this for a team that only returned three players. They look so much. They just look so much better than they did a week and a half ago. I I was wildly impressed with just the improvement from Victoria West in such a short period of time. Yeah, that that is amazing. As you said, none of these teams practice. So uh, who knows? I mean, maybe the time off. You know, and. Uh, I'm not sure. Do they have a lot of football players on the team? No, not the the only football player was uh, of, of that's in the rotation that really mm-hmm. plays Genesis Jeffries, who was a starting receiver. He's in the starting lineup, and he's kind of a you know more defensive guy. Does the dirty work, plays plays that kind of role for them. But they're you know they're go, they, you know they're three returners. Their go to guys are Bo Woods, who is tournament MVP, mm-hmm. Sean Meddy, who I actually think is the team's most important player and then Alejandro Gonzalez and that those are their three guards they're the three returners and if you read my article at the Victoria Advocate coach McDonald said something where it's those are our three returners and they they have to be their three main guys now it's something that they haven't had to be before but they they were confident that they could step up into those more prominent roles and it it feels like that transition starting to take shape some of the new guys you know Ty Katan as a, as a big guy is coming along a little bit Genesis Jeffries coming along a little bit. 
Jason or Luke Knight, a freshman off the bench, has been really valuable for them this year. They have about seven players they trust that you know in a close game they'll rotate in. But they, it's starting to, it's starting to come together for Victoria West, a, a pretty young team. I think this, these last two days were so important for them, mm-hmm. just to, to, to win and kind of see the results of, hey, if we play well, we can, we can go and win games. We can go and do things. And Cole is a three A team, but they're a number three team in three A. And Cole beat them by, I think, 18 points the very first game of the season. So right before North Zone play begins, to go and beat them kind of in the final tune-up to that, to show yourself, hey, look how much better we've gotten, I think is big mentally for Victoria West. Yeah, and another thing, you know, you don't think about, but maybe the break, uh, you know, helped their legs, Mm -hmm. you know, get their legs back. Because, you know, I'm sure most of these guys have been in the gym for quite a while now. Probably done a lot of running, a lot of conditioning. And maybe the break helped them a little bit get their legs back. And uh, that's really important in basketball. Yeah, get get their legs back and, you know, get a, just get a little bit of a break. You know, you go through yeah. midterms at the end of the semester, and this is stuff that's not on the basketball court, but you kind of get out of school and you mentally get a chance to reset. And I think also there was a little bit of hunger because the last game was the one I went to where they played Corpus Christi Carroll, and they came out the gates. They started off down 11 nothing in a game they lost by 10. So that's a game they lost just in the first couple minutes of the game. And they had to sit with that for a little bit. They didn't get to play another game. So they have to, you know, in your head you're thinking, man, we know we could have played better, but they didn't get the opportunity right away just to do it. They had to kind of sit on it for a little bit and think about it and get angry about it. And <laughs> I think that I think that helped them because after that game, talking to Coach McDonald, talking to some of the players, they were like, we know we could have played better. We know we should have come out stronger. And they had to just kind of live with it for a little bit. So I think that that fire burned in them for a couple of days, and it allowed them to put forth a really strong, a really strong performance in the Mike Smith Classic. But I have a very advanced analytic that I use to gauge, um, how, you know, whether how good Victoria West is going to be on this given night. So I, I've watched Victoria West now six times this year. Uh-huh. They're five and one in the mm-hmm. games in the games I've seen them play. The five games they've won. Point guard Sean Meddy has played really well. Yeah. In the one game they lost, he didn't play. <laughs> he didn't play well. So that's why if Sean Meddy plays well, Victoria West tends to win. That's my advanced advanced analytics. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, of course, the the two normal basketball powers in that district are uh, Veterans Memorial and Corpus Christi Miller. Um, and that, Flower Bluff is pretty good yeah, this year Flower as well. Yeah, Flower Bluff will also Although be they're in Although they're in the south zone. And GP, you just never really know. Yeah. They can be up and down. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. They need to carry this over in the zone play. <laughs> yeah, that, they, need to, they need to carry it over. In the first game, you know, G, first game of zone play, January 5th against Victoria East. So an easy one to get up for. <laughs> uh, and So East was at the Mike Smith Classic as well. So we talked about them a little bit. And. Mike, I, I know you kind of, you kind of you're my biggest fan. You follow all my stuff. Um, of course, we work together, so you see, yeah. we see everything. Um, but the theme with Victoria East, the the theme from coach Al, from Coach Ralph Almanza has been: we got to find consistency. We got to find consistency. That was the case before this tournament. That was the case after this tournament. And watching them play, I see exactly what he's talking about. They they had every type of game in this. They had every type of game across four games. They had a close loss to Incarnate Word Academy. They had a close win against Kingsville. 
They had a blowout win against Calhoun, and then they got blown out by San Antonio Cole. And it, it just all over the map. They'll put together spurts of really good basketball, and then there's spurts of we turn the ball over. Yeah. Uh, we we turn the ball over quite a bit, and so it, it's frustrating. But I in basketball, I look for like, do you have the elements? Like, what what pieces do you have that can come together? Yeah, I th- I think uh, one thing, and it's funny you mentioned that consistency because to me that's been Victoria East since it opened. Even when uh, Coach Grammer was there, uh, they and uh, you know um, even with Peter when he was coaching, they they've had moments where they look really really good, and then there's other moments when you're shaking your head, going, "What team is this?" Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key is consistency. And I know when I was out uh, covering the East girls, I was talking to some people out there, and they, they were saying that uh, uh, they like to run. They like to run. That's what the style they like to play. Well, with their personnel, that's how they have to play. And, uh, and to do that, you know, you have to – it's not just – you can't just go out there and run. You have to have some kind of idea of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the key is finding out what they can do with that kind of offense and being able to execute it. So it's uh, so you you asked the question about West earlier. How many football guys yeah. do they have come in? They weren't too affected by football. East was far more affected yeah. by the extended football season and just you know they're getting guys in late. Uh, and this is going to be really shocking to everybody. Nigel Prater is very good on the basketball court, and I say shocking facetiously because Nigel Prater is an outstanding athlete, yeah. one of the one of the better ones we have in the area. He's a really good athlete, kind of a Swiss Army knife for them. He does a little bit of everything. You can put him; he'll go rebound for you. He'll go play make for you. He's probably going to be their leading scorer this season. He does a little bit of everything. He can shoot the ball pretty well as well, and he's a high, he's a high IQ. He's a he's a pretty high IQ player. He just has a knack, a feel of. Knowing when to be, where to be, you know, knowing where to be, when to be there. So I was impressed with him. I also really like, they have a sophomore point guard who left. He's got some length on him, Braden Cates. He's someone who, not a finished product as we sit here on December 29th talking about this. But he's someone I look at for as the season goes on and then in the seasons to come. Lefty point guard. He's about yeah. 5'11", 6 feet tall. He can shoot the ball. He can distribute. He can play make. He defends well. He he mm-hmm. does a lot of things really, really well. And he's someone I'm excited to watch his development over the course of the course of the season. Well, I can promise you one thing. Uh, East and West will be a competitive game, I yeah. would think, because – I believe East beat West twice. Yeah, last East. Year. So West. Yeah, West made. They got to the second round of the playoffs. They had yeah. a really, really good season. Could not beat Victoria East last yeah. year. So that just shows you. You never know. Though you know, it's of course the cliche. Throw out the records, but when rivals play each other, I mean, those kids know each other. So you never know, really know what to expect in that game. Yeah, and it, it'll be an interesting because, you know, watching them play, you know, because they played outside of the last game. They were playing back-to-back the whole weekend. So I'd watch West, and I'd watch East, and I'd watch East, yeah. and I'd watch West. And it was really interesting to watch because I start you know, I start watching the two teams thinking, okay, well, if they play each other, I think West is vulnerable here, and East can take advantage of that. Or I think East is vulnerable here, and West can take advantage yeah. of that. So you start kind of playing the matchup in your head. But the fun thing is, a week from now, they're going to play the matchup in yeah. reality and not just in my brain. Um, so that, you know, that'll be really fun. I think East is a team that's still finding itself. They got Uh one more game than zone play begins. And this is one where it's going to be East. It's going to, 
I think the narrative going into the game is the the feeling is going to be well, West won the Mike Smith Classic. The uh, you know both teams played San Antonio Cole. East, East lost to Cole by 25. West beat Cole, so it's like, oh, well, that's just, you know, yeah. sports math is what people are going to start doing. Be careful with that. Yeah. <laughs> be 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 careful with that because, you know, rivalry, you know, the cliche of rivalry, throw the records out the window. Also, it's not every team matches up with every team the same way. So that while, you know, East, you know, Cole just with, with their guard play, the level of their point guard was – a really bad matchup for East and East kind of finding itself. They struggled with Cole's ability to shoot the ball. West is a little bit more of a finished product, but I think East athleticism is something that a week from now, when they do meet on the court, East athleticism, just at all five positions across the floor. Not, I'm not saying West is unathletic, but the overall athleticism of East is something that I think will be a little bit of trouble to deal with for West. And I actually think that's probably why, East beat West twice last year it was just the overall athleticism mm-hmm. of their team. So and the, and the, those kind of things still exist. So I'm interested to watch this matchup. I'm interested to see coming out of this tournament now. Coaches get a couple of days of practice with the guys coming out of the holiday break. What the teams look like a week from now because I think a lot of development is still to come on both sides. But Mike, it was a fun it was a fun couple of days at the Mike Smith Classic. Anytime I can be. In a gym watching basketball instead of in the office is a good day for me. Yeah, and that's it came at a really good time because there's not exactly a lot of stuff going on right now, so it really worked out well. Well, when I was in New Mexico, there was a there's a tur- actually the championship game of that tournament's tonight, but there's a tournament that goes on at the same yeah. time with the same kind of idea. Nothing's really going on. Let's put our tournament right here, and that one always draws a good crowd, and it's a fun event. The Stu Clark in Las Vegas, New Mexico. But one last thing before we throw it to break. These guys did a lot of flack, Mike. I think the Victoria chapter of officials at the Mike Smith Classic, I thought they did an outstanding job throughout the weekend. Yeah, and I'll say the game I saw with Victoria East and Gregory Portland I thought was officiated great. I mean, uh, they they called fouls when there were fouls, but they weren't overly, you know, intrusive in the game, and they let the players decide the outcome. Which is what you want? Yeah, as a fan, as some, you know, as a, as a coach, as a player, you want you want to see the players on the floor decide the outcome of the game, and that thought they did a good job of that. One thing I was talking to, you know, Victoria West head coach Cody McDonald about this. He had said, you know, because the tournament was moving along, they weren't ever behind schedule. The games were getting off, and they were supposed to get off. And in some places, they were even ahead of schedule. And he said, this, it's not possible with poor referees because they might lose control of the game or they might just start calling everything and then something lasts two hours when it only really needs to last an hour and but they never lost control of the game everything was as it was supposed to be I'm not going to come up and say the refs were perfect and didn't miss any calls because they're human and we all make mistakes and our walks of life but I I thought they I was very very impressed with the level of officiating and if that's something that is to come throughout the rest of basketball season. Actually, gets me really excited because I don't think we're going to have a ton of these like, oh, the refs decided the game or some yeah. of these you know foul fests where you know they're calling forty fouls on you know, they're calling forty fouls in the game. I think it's going to be a very I think it's going to be a very fun is going it's going to be a very fun basketball season here in the crossroads. Right. But we're going to hear a message from White Trash Services, and then we got some Coach of the Year nominees here in the area. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Stay tuned. Episode 68 of The Grid. 
I'm joined by BJ Nelson. BJ, White Trash Services, what is it and and what do y'all do? Well, thank you for asking. We gather trash in the counties around the Crossroads area. We've been in business for eight years, and we have dumpster, trash can, and roll-off companies. And, you know, y'all are y'all are big advocates for, for sports throughout the Crossroads region. Just what makes y'all want to sponsor uh, all, all high school sports throughout the Victoria area? High school sports are amazing. One, they keep kids out of trouble. It teaches them about character, teaches them about right and wrong, uh, how to do better in life. You learn a lot of life skills in sports and especially football. And how can someone get a hold of White Trash Services to start their service, rent a roll-off, or apply to be a part of your team? You can give us a call at 361-550-1826. I have a team of ladies that answer the phone and gentlemen. So give us a call anytime, 8 to 5 during the day, and uh, we'd be happy to visit with you about any of those things. We are back, episode sixty-eight of the grid. Where it's always football season, like it, it, it's always football <laughs> yeah. season, and we had some, you know, Texas football coach of the year nominees. So I'm gonna run through them real quick. What we have here in our area: David Lucio over at Tidehaven, Kevin Salazar at Goliad, Josh Irvin at Ganado. Wade Griffin at Weimer and Alex Sedler over at Hallettsville Sacred Heart. And then we have some people from the area as well who have gone on elsewhere. Ray Gates at North Crowley, a Shiner graduate. Will Littleton at PSJ Memorial. He's from Cuero. His dad was actually the head coach at McCallum Memorial yeah. when I was there. Yeah. And J.R. Castellano at Alice. He is from Refurio. And also uh, K. Ron Johnson from Cuero. He is uh, he is now the coach at uh, Waco University. Okay. Yeah. So he was nominated too. On my original list, I missed some of them. I went through. There were so many of them that I kind of went through quickly, and I realized I'd missed Kron, who of course went to Quarrel, played at Baylor. And so this is one we talk about, like the level of football in the area all the time, and in a lot of ways that starts with the level of coaching in the area, and I, you know. Kevin Salazar, David Lucio, and Josh Irvin are a few guys we did not short on coverage this year, and they did an outstanding job with their programs oh, this season. Oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, if you want a good laugh, uh, go to my Twitter, at uh, MikeForman21, and check out Lucio's response. He put together a little campaign video about six seconds long. Uh, which shows, I mean, the guy has an incredible sense of humor. We're getting David Lucio on this podcast yeah, at some point. I, this is th- this podcast was made to have David yeah, Lucio come so, on. Yeah, uh, so you might want to check that out. Uh, and granted, this this is a popularity thing. I mean, it's a vote. Put the public votes on it. Go to TexasFootball.com. You can vote. But it, it's good to to show that a number of coaches in the area are recognized because. If you look at every one of these guys, they did a tremendous job this year. You know, even Wade. Look Wade, at Wade Griffin Wade at Weimer was one of the best coaching jobs yeah. in our area. I mean, here's a team that uh, what they win year, two games last yeah, year. Yeah, they they weren't very good last year. I think they beat. I know they beat Schulenberg and maybe one other mm-hmm. game, and they turned it around this year. Uh, finished second in district and uh, go to the third round for the first time since 2015. Mm-hmm. 
Unfortunately, both times they ran into Refurio in the third round. Well, but, we're not going to hold it against anyone no. for losing to Refurio. But, uh, yeah, tremendous job by Wade up there in Weimar. And, uh, you know, so congratulations to these coaches. And, you know, I'm sure their fan bases are going to want to get behind them yeah. and uh, go out, go online and punch in all those uh, those little little votes for them. Yeah, you know, I, I was on there voting for, you know, voting for our area guys. It's, uh, I, you know, and we talked about it throughout the football season. I was so impressed with the job that Josh Irvin did over at Ganado. And and he's an offensive guy, so he's the one designing a lot. He kind of, you know, he does the offense. He lets his defensive staff do the defense. I thought the defensive staff, their game plan against Refurio was outstanding, what they intended to do, and I thought – Josh's game plans throughout, you know, really throughout the postseason yeah. were just were were just incredible. I thought that staff at Ganado did an outstanding job this yeah, year. Yeah, and even look at Goliad, what Kevin Salazar's done. I mean, you look the last four years. I mean, they were. I think the year he took over, they didn't win a game, and they've progressed every year. I mean, so great job by. And him. I mean, they beat Edna this year. Beat in District Edna Clay. in the uh, to win the district title. So, uh, really good job by them this year. Um, just a lot of good coaching jobs and, in the area. And then also, in, you know, as a tip of the cap to Kevin, he, they really didn't know who their quarterback was going to be coming into this year. They had a lot of things yeah. to figure out early in the season. So, to get that right and become as competitive as they were, as good as they were in the middle part, in the latter portions of the season – Really impressive for Kevin, Kevin Salazar yeah, over there. And then like Alex Seidler at, at Sacred Heart, this is his first season. Yeah. Uh, they go undefeated in the regular season. Uh, they lose their quarterback, actually, during the season. And they go on to the semifinals. So great season there. He did a great job as well. Yeah, I'm you know excited for the you know we you know we think we have good coaches in the area. We're around these guys you know pretty regularly, so it's fun to see at the state level. You know some some of these some of these guys who we know how good they are. We see it on a week to week basis. It's nice to see some of them get recognized in this. The, the interesting thing is we have not, as of yet, anyways, had a coaching change. Uh, now, of course, that a lot will happen. And, of course, when realignment rolls around, that's usually when stuff starts really happening. But, uh, you know, that this is pretty amazing that so far uh, everything has been uh, stated as it is. That's a good point. You know, we talk, you know, I joke with Matt Steph about his step bombs when he get you know, because he's the one who's breaking a lot of these high school coaching changes. And there really hasn't been any in our area yet. And that's. You know, we have so much going on that, I, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, when's the next coaching change is going to be until right this second as you brought it up. But you're right. We haven't had anything yet, and that's almost odd. It is. It's it's a little different because almost every year there's at least six to eight changes. Um, we'll see how that works out this year. Like I said, uh, after realignment, things can start moving because uh, people start looking at what they have and stuff like that. But we'll see. You never know. You know, uh, things can happen tomorrow. We just don't know. Yeah, who knows? Maybe my phone blows up right now <laughs> as we go to the next segment. We're going to hear this message from Thrivent Financial. Then we're going to talk about, you know, just a couple of our favorite moments from the year 2023, what we're looking forward to in 2024, and a strong-held belief that I have that Mike and I are going to discuss. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Episode 68 of The Grid. Thrivent is a proud sponsor of The Grid. Thrivent believes money is a tool, not a goal. 
Thrivent Financial Advisor Carly Herrig works with clients to create financial strategies that reflect their priorities and help them protect the things that matter most, like family and giving back. Carly can be reached at 361-223-7883 or connect.thrivent.com backslash true-path-planning. We are back. Episode 68 of The Grid. Our last one of 2023. The next time we're back here, it will be 2024. Mike, 2023, we got some state championships in the spring. Right after I arrived here, yeah. we, we got a couple of trophies for Furio and track and field. Weimer on the softball diamond this year. You were fortunate enough to be, you know, be up in Austin. Be up in Austin. Both of them were in Austin, yeah. actually. Be up in Austin for both of those. Mike, talk about what you, you know, what you recall, what you remember looking back on those, you know, on those special moments. Well, I mean, for Furio, the track team, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on them all season to repeat because uh, they've won more state championships than any other school. And uh, it was not necessarily an easy year. There were some injuries there, and some things happened uh, that made a state title, you know, not a sure thing. I mean, they were still in good shape, but – and like I, I, I said, uh, I wrote a column about this that when I put the pencil to it, actually looking at it, Timpson I, had more points going into the meet than Refurio did. But, of course, Terry Bussey got injured. That hurt their chances. And like I've said before, one thing I have learned about track and field, do not go by the seed times because <laughs> – you're talking about four different regions with four different conditions. And believe me, if you've been to Kingsville and you've watched that regional meet, the conditions down there are very difficult. It's usually hot, humid, windy. So it's hard to run your times, your best times. And I've seen that over and over again. So I never discount a team from this region winning a state track title. And, of course, uh, the boys did. Uh, thanks to large part to Ernest Campbell, who had, you know, won his third straight 100 and uh, anchored the relay. Um, but uh, also the Refurio girls, that was a total shock because, I mean, you knew they were going to score some points, but usually 32 points isn't enough to win a state title. But as it turned out, it, three teams scored 32 points and they had a share of the title up. Peyton Oliver, outstanding day, you know, really came through in her senior year to uh, win the 100 and uh, anchor the relay. Is she at a Houston Christian now? Yes. Oh, actually, I have some friends who work over there, and they were yeah. asking me if they were asking me if I knew her. I'm like, I don't yeah. know, but I'm sure Mike Foreman does. Yeah, she's over at Houston Christian now. And, uh, and then, of course, Weimer. I mean, what can you say? That, I mean – Softball in this area, if if you if you've never had a chance to go up and see like Shiner, Weimer, Ganado, even Flatonia, sometimes that district is outstanding. I mean, I don't well, know. It was the four that district had all four regional semifinalists. Yeah, this, and, this season, and, and I don't know how to t- how to explain. It. I mean, the uh, if you look at the state champions that have come from that district, it's amazing. And uh, this year, Weimer was the team that emerged. 
And believe me, it wasn't easy. They had to come from behind twice against Shiner. And then, uh, you know, they win the state championship in dramatic walk-off fashion. I mean, just just an, a really incredible accomplishment. And I'll tell you what, looking forward to next year, I can already say right now Shiner and Ganeda are going to be two of the preseason favorites because uh, – Shiner is a ton of people back. I, 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 I did Shiner lose anybody? They were they were uh, they were a they young lost team. Maybe one or two girls. They were a young team last year. And Weimer, I mean, Ganado has a pitcher supposedly coming up that's going to be a freshman that's supposed to be outstanding. So those two right off the bat, and Weimer's always going to be good. So uh, you know, if you get a chance, if you like good softball, you know, I would definitely get out to one of those games. Yeah, that that's one the 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 two way softball in our area that was really fun to follow when I first got here in the spring and this this kind of good transition into something we're looking forward to in twenty twenty four. So a team in that area, not two A, but a team in that area that's really really good that you didn't mention is Hallettsville. Now yeah. they won a state oh, championship yeah. in twenty twenty two. They were junior heavy last year. They lost they lost a shocker to. Uh, to Coffer or was it Coff? I think it was. Or yeah, was it Rivera? Or yeah. was it Santa Gertrudis? Or was it Santa Gertrudis? That's who it was. A shocker in the third round. They didn't, so they weren't able to successfully defend their state championship. A lot of those girls are back in 2024. So as we get to the start of 2024, Hallettsville softball. I'm looking forward to following them because mm-hmm. I think they're coming back with a vengeance this season. And you mentioned Hallettsville. How about Hallettsville baseball? They lost one person off that team that lost to London. In the playoffs, so I believe uh, this Hallsville. They were a, a team chance. that got hot late in the yeah. year. Yeah, Hallsville has a good chance if they if it can stay healthy, which is key for everyone. But uh, if Hallsville can stay healthy, I think Hallsville has a chance to make a run in the state tournament. Yeah, I think I think for softball as well. You mentioned potential favorites in in two A a minute ago. I think Hallsville you have to look at in three A and what they returned, their pedigree, how many mm-hmm. girls are still there from the 2022 state championship. I look at them as as good a chance as anybody to win the state title in 2024. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, 3A and 2A, we're both going to have a chance to, to see some teams at the uh, state tournament. And, uh, you know, you just never know. I mean, uh, you know, that they both have the pedigree, like you said, So uh, and they have the experience, so we'll see. Yeah, that's exciting to look for as we get to 2024. Before we head out here, I wrote uh, I wrote a column at the at the beginning of the week that we're going to talk about now on the show because hey, why not? Let's talk about it. A shot clock in high school basketball, Mike. It's something that not only it's not only does it need to happen, it's long, long overdue. If you ask me, I agree a hundred percent with you. Now I know. The, the one argument I've heard against it is the, the cost. They'd have to get a, another clock operator, basically, to, to operate the 24-second clock, and you've got to pay that person. So, uh, you know, schools talk about that, but I, I really believe it's necessary. I think it, it would really help the game in this state, which, you know, I mean, let's face it, there are some really good basketball teams in this state, but to put – push this uh, to basketball to the next level in this state, 
I think a shot clock would do that. I, I think it helps. So taking away from the competition aspect of it, which one, I think it just helps the game so yeah. much, just the entertainment value. The, if you're a fan going to the game, a shot clock makes it a much better product if you're at, just as a consumer. But let's talk, let's talk about another aspect of it from the player development side. You're forcing players instead of – because this is what I see over and over again watching the Mike Smith Classic. Actually, there weren't too many egregious instances of it of this, but you see it quite a bit in high school basketball where team comes down the floor. They run the offensive set. It takes 25 seconds. Nothing comes of it. Coach calls a play. They, another, they run another offensive set. It takes another <laughs> 25 seconds. And before you know it – They've had the ball for 45 seconds to a minute and a half court, and the team's just there defending, and the game just comes to a halt, basically. And that happens all the time, and that's not the way basketball is meant to be played. You run your offense, but if it breaks down the final 10 seconds of a shot clock, your point guard, your creator, playmaker, it's on them to go and make a play and come up with a creative solution to the problem presented to you by the defense. So I think putting players in those situations to have to come up with those solutions is something that that is critical to development of young basketball players. And this is someone who loves basketball, has coached basketball. I played a little bit of basketball in college. This this is this is where I'm coming from with this. I think it helps the development so much. I also believe you open up more doors defensively. It helps the defensive side of the ball as well as far as mm-hmm. right now there's really two ways high school teams play. Either a press Virginia, havoc, 40 minutes of hell type of defense mm-hmm. where you're putting the pressure on them all the way up the floor in, in hopes of forcing a turnover, or teams just play a 2-3 zone, which I think if you're a team that plays nothing like primarily 2-3 zone mm-hmm. – you're probably just being pretty lazy and doing so. That that that's some, that's an opinion I hold. But in a 30 second shot clock, a coach you can teach your team to be really disciplined in the half court defensively. Whether you want to play a no middle style defense or a pack line style defense or one of these kind one of these kind of variations, a matchup zone type of thing, yeah. and uh, they have to attack you. And as a defense, if you're really disciplined in your style of defense, you the your reward is you're going to force your opponent into a bad shot at the end of the shot clock. Whereas right now, if you're a really good, disciplined, half-court defensive team, if Mike, if your team is great half-court defensively, I have no incentive to shoot the ball until I hit the shot that I want. And that's where you see these games come to a stop and come to a halt because there's no incentive to go and shoot the ball. So players don't attack as much, and defenses then have to they either lay back or they have to decide, we're just going to throw everything at them, and it gets to a really kind of messy game. So I actually think the addition of a shot clock helps the player development side of things so much. Yeah, and, and I know, of course, a lot of coaches will argue, well, my job is to win. And uh, and if I'm playing a team that's much more talented than mine, my I have to come up with a strategy to beat that team. And, and I think that's fair game. And by uh, the way. but if that your strategy is to hold the ball for four minutes and take a shot at the end of the quarter, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? How does that benefit? You know, obviously you may. You know, Dean Smith won a lot of games like that, but. I still think it, it, it doesn't help the development of the player, and it, it it's really not benefiting the game of basketball. Yeah, as a high school coach, you're right. You you know your job is to win games. You do you do want to go and win basketball games, but more importantly than that, your job is to to develop the people on your team, the people in your program. That that is first prior that is first priority there, and in 
if your strategy again, if your strategy is just hold the ball, it's th- that's not basketball. It's yeah. I have a more colorful word, but it's nonsense. Like yeah. that—that's what it is. It's that's not the game of basketball. And also, these teams who they're up six, seven points with three minutes left in a basketball game and start playing keep away at the end yeah. of the game. Like no, like that—that yeah. that is not the game. That is not the sport. Mm-hmm. So, a thirty or thirty-five second shot clock at the high school level is something that is. Long overdue. The UIL has actually approved it, but now the cost aspects of people get what I, the costing schools and the UIL spend so much money on so many different things. Putting it's so we have to put a shot clock in every high school gym in the country, okay, or every high school gym in the state, okay. Yes, we do, but you know what that is, Mike? It's a one time cost. I'm not you're not getting a new shot clock every no, you're not getting a new shot clock every year, and I. I just don't buy the excuse of, oh, well, we have to find another person to run the clock. And what do they pay? They're paying people like what? Ten, twenty dollars yeah. a game to do it. I'm sorry. I, I just don't buy the excuse. Yeah. I, I just don't. I don't either. And I, I think it, it it'll come. You know, it's just a matter of when. I, I think uh, obviously, I mean, even if we have to start like with 6A and 5A maybe and kind of work its way down like we've done with some other things. That that may be what the way it happens. So, but we'll see. Yeah, actually, you know, talking to coaches this week, and I'm not going to name any names, but it's uh, a great deal of the coaches I talked to were in favor of. Uh, you know, they were like, let you know, let's do it. Let's, yeah, let, let let's get the shot clock in here. I always think the 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 game management the end of the games becomes more yeah. interesting with you know with a shot clock. You're down one with 45 seconds left. Other team has the ball. Okay, we need to stop defensively here, give ourselves a chance to win the game. Instead of their team could hold the ball for forty five seconds and yeah. play keep away. Like no, that this is where it becomes real basketball, and you got players got to go and make plays. Well, just look at football. I mean, you've got a what a twenty five and a forty second clock. Yeah. So I mean, basically, what you're doing is that teams you have to figure out. Well, we can't hold the ball. We have to at least make a first down to win this game. And so they have to adjust their strategy accordingly. The, and the, the same thing in basketball. The same way a play clock is crucial to the play of a football game, I argue, I would argue a shot clock is just as crucial to the play of a basketball game. Yeah, makes sense. To and me. and this keep away tactic is not is nothing new. You mentioned Dean Smith won yeah. a bunch of games with it in the forties and fifties. The NBA had to institute a shot clock to legislate yeah. out those stall tactics. Yeah. So this is not like some new thing that coaches are figuring out. Now, this has been around basketball for 70, 80 years. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so it, so it's, yeah, the shot clock is something near and dear to my heart, and I want it in high school basketball, and, Mike, I want it now. Maybe <laughs> we can put that on New Year's resolution for yeah. 2024. That sounds good. UIL, get on that. Yeah. All right, well, last thing before we head into the new year, coaches. Send in your all-area nominations to sports at vicad.com for both football and for volleyball. We've gotten some of them. We want more coaches. Hey, I'll give a shout-out to the coaches this week. They've done a good job. Yeah. This week, they've done a good job of getting those of getting those into us. We've gotten a lot of nominations over the last week. I know it's the holidays. Coaches, if you sent them in already, thank you so much for that. If you haven't, please send them in to sports at vicad.com. Mike mentioned it last week. Any coach, if you nominate a player for all area, they're guaranteed to be on the honorable mention for football. That is also the case for volleyball. So if you nominate a player, they will at minimum get an honorable mention nod. 
So we we are working on those right now. We want to get those out. We've been a little sh- we've been a little shorthanded, but we are going to we are going to come out with those all area teams after the turn of the year. Coaches send those nominations in. We want to recognize the outstanding athletes in this area. That's it, and we uh, want to wish everyone a happy and a safe new year, and uh, stick with us for next year. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Happy New Year. Stay safe out there. We can't wait to see you in 2024. From the grid, we'll see you next time.